Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. Ghostthropology presents discussion of ghost stories and beliefs, and how we share ghost folklore, and importantly, how belief in the supernatural reflects who we are. While I don't know when or where or how you are listening, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 58, Gnomes and Ghosts. For this episode, I want to talk about two different stories that skate the boundary between ghosts, cryptids, and spirits. As I've discussed briefly in other episodes, this boundary is much more permeable and fluid than one might think, and I think that the stories that I provide in this episode illustrate that point. So, without further ado, let's talk about a creepy gnome and a gnomely ghost. Story One The Evil Gnome of Porterville. A family moved into a farmhouse near the Tule River in the area around Porterville in rural Tulare County, California. After moving in, the mother, Tammy, began to feel on edge, as if she was always being watched. The barn, in particular, made her uneasy. Even the family's animals, pets as well as fowls such as geese and chickens, avoided the barn, and everyone got the creeps when near it. They could never put a finger on what bothered them, but they all knew that something was not quite right. One night, when returning home from the grocery store with one of her children, Tammy heard a sinister chuckling and saw movement out of the corner of her eye. Turning, she saw a small, gnome-like creature that stood somewhere between two and three feet tall. It was wearing a red hat, a gold-colored shirt, and black pants. It smiled at her, revealing two rows of sharp, brown, decayed teeth. Tammy ushered her child into the house, and they huddled in fear as the creature waited outside. They could see its red hat through the kitchen window, which meant it had climbed the wall, grown, or was hovering, as that window was a good ten feet off the ground. The creature eventually left, although Tammy and her family would occasionally hear the creature chuckling. They never saw it again and the family eventually moved off the property. Eventually, a woman named Charlie and her family moved into the house, and it all began again. They noticed that animals, both domestic and wild, avoided the building that they called the shack, presumably the same barn that had made Tammy uneasy. On at least one occasion, Charlie felt so unnerved while walking near the shack that she picked up her two young children and broke into a sprint to get away from it. And then, one day, things became much more frightening. Charlie heard what sounded like a cat fighting with something inside of the shack. When her husband went to investigate, he found a cat all right. The cat was dead and had been entirely skinned on one side with a huge bite taken out of its neck. He stepped out to clear his head, and when he stepped back in, the cat was gone. A short time later, 
at 3 a.m., Charlie and her husband woke to a guttural, eerie singing coming from the backyard. Looking out their window, they saw the same red-hatted creature. As they watched in horror, the creature pulled a fish out of the koi pond that Charlie had installed and then smiled as he ate the still-living fish, never looking away from the horrified couple. Charlie's husband yelled out the window that he was going to call the police, and the gnome flipped them off. After all, rude hand gestures are the universal language, and then walked away laughing the entire time. When the police arrived, they found nothing but child-sized footprints. The creature returned every night at 3 a.m., messed about with their lawn ornaments, mostly gnome and fairy ornaments, naturally, and ate the fish from the pond. Finally, the family locked the ornaments away and put the fish into a tank in the house. When the creature showed up the following night, it became angry. It proceeded to scream in its odd, guttural language while running in circles around the house. Charlie ran downstairs to find the dogs barking at the dog door, which she quickly secured from inside before running upstairs to lock all of the windows. The family left shortly thereafter. When a writer introduced Charlie and Tammy to each other, they went back to look in on the property. The barn slash shack was gone. But when they went to speak with the current resident, they were rudely rebuffed and sent packing. On the website where I first found this story, Weird Fresno, a commenter claiming to be Tammy claimed that she would later learn that others in the area had been terrorized by the creature for years. What's more, this poster claimed that, some years later, the creature seemed to follow her to her new home and was again terrorizing her family. Some web commenters from the area claimed that, while they never saw anything, they always felt uneasy in the vicinity and avoided the property in question. Commentary. While not specifically a ghost story, I feel like this one falls more in the weird spirit side of the spectrum than the cryptozoological one, so I decided to add it here. Why do I say that this falls into the weird spirit category? Well, aspects of the story fit very nicely into the tradition of the Western European fairy stories. Although we tend to use the term fairy tale nowadays to describe something both fantastic and gentle, if not childish, the actual folklore from which the term fairy comes was, in fact, more often dark and malevolent. Indeed, if you were to tell a 10th century person that they were fae, they wouldn't think that you were calling them feminine. They would think that you were saying that they were doomed to a horrible fate at the hands of the supernatural. When Black Sabbath sang a song about fairies in boots dancing with dwarves, they weren't trying to call up a cartoonish image, but were, instead, trying to discover something otherworldly and terrifying. I'll include a link to the song in the show notes in the blog entry for this episode. In fact, in European, and especially British folklore, the word fairy is used as a blanket term for a wide variety of creatures and entities that would have been considered either supernatural or at least not mundane. These creatures, though firm in British folklore, are likely derived from a variety of sources ranging from Celtic to Roman to Germanic, all of which were later funneled through various periods of culture change, most prominently the Christianization of Europe in the early medieval period. The resulting folklore is a bit of a mishmash. 
folklore related to fairies claims that they are everything from nature spirits to ancient people who've gone into hiding to ghosts to demons of various varieties. And that's all before you even consider that the term is often extended to include various different creatures from European mythology that are not part of the fairy tradition of the British Isles. Point is, the term fairy is pretty broadly defined. Fairy folklore, like most folklore, is a bit of a mess that makes fools of those who try to systemize it. And good luck getting any set of traditional storytellers or folklorists to agree with each other on what exactly fairies are. But the idea of a malicious gnome terrorizing a family in an isolated farmhouse is absolutely in keeping with these older traditions. That said, the description of the creature in the story doesn't match that of a gnome so much as it does a specific type of fairy, later Christianized as a demon, from Northern Europe known as a red cap. These creatures look, in many respects, like the garden gnomes that we appreciate so much, but were vicious murderers whose hats were red with the blood of their victims. Should their hats dry out, the red cap would die, or be sent back to hell, or be banished from the material plane, etc., etc. The red caps wore iron boots. Unlike other such folkloric creatures, they were not afraid of iron, but nonetheless ran faster than any human could. They were vile, often dirty, and enjoyed the pain and suffering of others. Tulare County is just south of Fresno County, where I currently live, and I have spent a fair amount of time in and around Porterville. It is interesting to me as a resident of the San Joaquin Valley that this story is reliant on Northwestern European fairy mythology and not the more common Latino folklore that permeates much of our local ghost folklore. For example, I often go for walks along a trail said to be haunted by a La Llorona spirit. I live in a city where the Mexican story of a chicken-footed devil has been attributed to a local nightclub, and many other creatures that people excitedly report sightings of in this area are derived from Latin American lore, including the chupacabra. Porterville is in a very agrarian area, and there is a huge Spanish-speaking population in Tulare County. So it is interesting that this story is so clearly steeped in European and especially British folklore. What gives? Now, if you are inclined to take the story at face value and accept that it's true, you have a few options. One is to accept that Tammy did, in fact, see a red cap. Another is to assume that she saw something else, an animal or a person that superficially resembled the garden gnome, or that her brain would interpret as a garden gnome in her memory. If we accept, however, that not everything on the internet is true, including this story, it begs the question of why a garden gnome or red cap? Given the tendency for many neo-pagan groups to rehash selective elements of Celtic and Germanic folklore, it may be that this is the source, and it certainly wouldn't be unheard of for somebody to mind their own personal interests or religious beliefs to create a creepy story for the internet. Alternatively, garden gnome statues are common and are usually regarded as cute, or at least inoffensive, so it may have tickled someone's fancy to create a malicious and violent gnome, and the fact that this resembles an actual mythological creature is just coincidence. Regardless, it makes for an interesting story. While I am skeptical as to the existence of fairies, redcaps, and gnomes, I do generally try to take people at their word. Whether or not I think that they are interpreting what they saw accurately, I tend to assume that they saw something. But there are some elements of this story that make it hard for me to do that. While the claim of a vicious evil garden gnome is interesting, it also doesn't really fit in with the area. But you know, 
I can accept that Tammy saw something strange and that the best way she could describe it is by comparing it to a garden gnome. But then there's the matter of the creature causing trouble at 3 a.m. Now, in a lot of paranormal circles, and even more in paranormal fiction, 3 a.m. is a special time, and usually a dangerous one. Demons and evil spirits are active at 3 a.m., according to some sources because they are mocking the Holy Trinity, Trinity 3, you see. Some sources claim that it is a mockery of the time when Jesus died on the cross, at 3 p.m. Regardless of the cause, there is an old folkloric tradition that links 3 a.m. to supernatural activities. But when I have read and heard people tell their own personal tales, the time rarely comes into play. And when it does, it's usually because the time is in some way significant to what they are dealing with. An example of this can be found in the very influential book The Amityville Horror. You may recall that the father of the family being haunted routinely woke up at 3.15 a.m., which was the time when Ronnie DeFeo had carried out a bunch of murders in the Amityville house. So while there was already folklore around this time, the book helped to cement the hours between 3 and 4 a.m. as an eerie time in the public imagination. Then there's the matter of the new owner having demolished the shack or barn or whatever it was, and being unfriendly and unwilling to talk with Tammy and Charlie. This doesn't ring entirely false. You don't have to be rude to maybe not be super excited about two strangers showing up at your home and trying to tell you about how your property is haunted by a gnome in a red hat. I mean, it sounds crazy or like the setup for a scam. So I could see this playing out exactly as described. So sure, maybe they did try to revisit the house and got a cold reception. At the same time, the lack of resolution, the building being demolished, and the owner stonewalling Tammy and Charlie, well... It reads like something out of the X-Files. What's more, the creature having possibly followed Tammy even after she left is consistent with both folklore and recent pop culture involving ghosts. Something very similar happened at the end of the Amityville Horror. And the activities of the gnome or red cap or whatever it is, running around the house, making noise, eating a fish whole while grinning at the homeowners, skinning and eating a cat... It all seems more like elements of a slasher movie than anything out of Red Cap lore. Can I say that Tammy and Charlie did not have these experiences? No, of course I can't. I honestly don't know. But I can say that the story available reads like it was put together from elements of various different horror genres rather than a cohesive narrative of actual events. That doesn't make it false. But it does make me suspect that this is a case where someone may have told an exaggeration or even a flat-out tall tale for the sake of entertaining others. The story was picked up by a relatively influential paranormal website, Mysterious Universe, and then took on a life of its own. I may be wrong, but that's what I suspect is occurring here. And if I am right, that is, itself, fascinating. As I discussed in episode 57 on Mission San Inez, and also in episode 52 on the demon Zozo, even a single post on a website can be picked up by those with an interest and become a fixture in folklore. Naturally, the internet being the internet, the comment sections of the web pages where this story was posted contain a lot of speculation as to what happened, ranging from discussions of fairies to speculation that the little man might have been an escaped mental patient. And in one comment section on Weird Fresno, there is an active debate as to whether or not one fervent evangelical Christian poster is justified in calling this thing a demon. The text of the story at Weird Fresno is taken from Mysterious Universe, 
So they may seem redundant, but the blog comments at Weird Fresno are worth a look. First off, there is someone who claims to be the Tammy from the story, further describing her experiences. I have no way of knowing if this person is the real Tammy, or is in any way associated with the origins of the story at all, but it is nonetheless interesting to see someone trying to continue this story under Tammy's name. Secondly, there is a commenter who claims to have seen the same type of creature at another location in another state. This addition leaves open the possibility that this creature has become a common element of folklore, rather like what happened with the Chupacabra in the 1990s. Though, as I've heard no similar stories for other locations, it would appear that this particular tale never took off. Still, even if you don't believe the story, it seems like people should have reported more sightings. As stated above, the story bears more than a passing resemblance to some of the fairy folklore from which gnomes are derived, so it seems not only fitting, but expected that others would have similar encounters. There is an episode of the Travel Channel show Monsters in America that discusses this story, but because of rights issues, I was unable to find a place to stream it, so I cannot speak to what is said in that episode. However, the Mysterious Universe post, which I did read, appears to be the origin of the story, and I read a number of other more recent sources that discuss it. Although I am comfortable that I've covered the story as accurately as possible, given the reach of a television show as compared to other sources available, I'd very much like to see the Monsters in America episode and am bummed that it is unavailable to me. As it is often said, it was us, the public, who lost the streaming wars. Will the deadly gnome of Porterville have staying power? Well, the story is, at this point, just shy of nine years old and is still being discussed on web forums and various sites, so while only time will tell, it may indeed become a permanent fixture of Porterville's ghost stories. Story 2. The Little Red Man the location now known as Old Salem Village and Gardens was once the location of a Moravian colony. It is also the former home of a strange creature known as the Little Red Man. For a little background, the Moravians are a West Slavic ethnographic group from the Moravia region of the Czech Republic. Many members of the Moravian community were also members of the Moravian Church, which was persecuted in Europe for beliefs held to be unconventional. Moravian settlers first arrived in Georgia in 1735, but moved up to Pennsylvania in 1740. Although the community prospered in Pennsylvania, they still faced religious bigotry, and in 1753, many members left Pennsylvania and purchased land in North Carolina, founding the town of Salem in 1866. As the legend goes, there is a cobbler, or in some tellings, a cobbler's apprentice, named Andreas Kresmer, living in the colony during the late 18th century. Kresmer was a well-known fixture of the community, easily identified by the red cap or, as some stories say, red coat that he always wore. Depending on the story that you hear, Andreas was known for being kind, patient, and pleasant, and he was a stalwart of the community. Or he was a young man with more energy than sense who was constantly getting himself into trouble. In the latter versions, it is said that he was assigned the job of cleaning the town's chimneys both because his small stature made it easier for him than other men and because the town fathers needed to find a way to keep him out of trouble. Regardless, whether as ways to redirect his energy or because he was a generous man, he took on many tasks in addition to his normal work as a cobbler. The community had a house specifically for unmarried men, 
known as the Single Brothers House, and in 1786, it needed to be expanded to add additional storage. This expansion was achieved by digging below the basement to create a sub-basement storage area. Andreas helped with the construction. Depending on the story you hear, he either did so because he was generous and helpful by nature, or because he had, yet again, gotten himself into trouble. Either way, he put in long hours at the house. One night, he was working late, and around midnight, the soil surrounding him collapsed. He died a few hours later from his injuries. After his death, people claim to have heard the sound of a cobbler at work when in the vicinity of the building, especially in the basement. And some people claim to see a small man in red sneaking around the house. This story was kept alive for decades by the single men of the community, but in the 1820s, the house ceased being used for single men. By the early 20th century, the building came to be used as the home for widows rather than unmarried men. On one occasion, the granddaughter of one widow, a girl named Betsy, ran into her grandmother's room telling a story about a small man in a red cap who wanted Betsy to come and play. Eventually, around 1950, the ghost was spotted during a visit by a community leader. The leader called for a minister to exorcise the spirit. According to some stories, the little red man was never seen again. But, of course, there are others who claim he is still there, if perhaps a bit more cautious. Commentary What a great story! What appears to be going on here is a mixing of two types of folklore. The first concerns the classic ghost story. A man dies during an accident, and thereafter elements of his life continue to echo in the setting in which he died, specifically the sound of cobbler's tools at work. Classic stuff. But like the story of the Porterville gnome or Redcap, this story also contains elements of folklore concerning the spirit people of Northern Europe. Andreas Kresmer was a real person. There is ample historical record to prove that. But the description of his ghost, a small man dressed in red who tries to remain hidden but may try to tempt little children to come away, bears more than a mild resemblance to the trolls, elves, and fairies of Northern Europe. And his association with a domestic task, in this case shoemaking, is reminiscent of mythological creatures such as brownies. The melding of the two is not entirely odd. As previously noted, some European folklore from the Renaissance onward, and possibly earlier, conflated the spirit people of folklore with dead humans. The stories of the European spirit people would have come with the Moravians when they arrived in the Americas. That such a story would get attached to their new colony is unsurprising. That it would be attached to a particular person is rather more interesting. One is left wondering why this occurred. Perhaps there were already such stories about the building, and after his death, they were attributed to Kresmer. Perhaps people started telling these stories and tying them to Kresmer as a way of processing and grieving his death. Ultimately, we will never know why Kresmer was said to come back as a little red man who haunted the town. But that he did is, in of itself, rather fascinating. <laughs> General Commentary on the Subject of Gnomes and Ghosts 
This is not the first time that I have discussed the rather thin and porous border between ghosts and other supernatural or paranormal folklore. I believe that the first time I discussed this in any depth was episode 26 on the Mothman prophecies, in which my good lady wife Kalia and I discussed the interaction between ghosts, UFOs, and cryptid folklore. When I first encountered the story of the Little Red Man, I was rather fascinated by both how the described appearance and the behavior of the ghost crossed over into the behavior of brownies and other European folk creatures and spirits. I later found the story of the Porterville Gnome, and while the behavior was generally more in line with a horror movie monster, the appearance was clearly taken from European folklore, at least such folklore as processed through American pop culture. Both of these stories were brought to mind when I read Paul Berber's book, Vampires, Burial, and Death, in which he discusses his hypothesis for the origins of vampire legends of Eastern Europe. At various points in this book, he comments on the fact that, in many contexts, words for vampire, witch, sorcerer, and werewolf are used interchangeably, suggesting that the divisions between these types of entities are much less distinct in traditional pre-20th century folklore than in modern pop culture. I argued in episode 26 that a lot of UFO lore bleeds over into stories of ghosts or demons in ways suggesting that these are not as distinct as they at first appear. The same can be said for tales concerning creatures such as Bigfoot or the Chupacabra, where there are threads of folklore that hold that these are real, physical entities that could be captured and understood, and others that regard them as more mystical or spiritual in nature. The story of the Little Red Man, as a piece of 19th and early 20th century folklore, would certainly be of a time and place where the division between these different threads of folklore would be thin. The Porterville Gnome, on the other hand, as a recent entry into the paranormal lore, might be expected to be more clearly defined. But it doesn't seem to be. Even if you suspect, as I do, that this is a tall tale told for entertainment online, perhaps especially if you think that, then it seems like it should fit more easily into the categories of ghost, demon, cryptid, or a modern interpretation of fairies. But it doesn't. All of this suggests to me that, even in a day where those with an interest in the paranormal tend to want to divide everything up into ever smaller categories, the weirdness of our stories will continue to push against such categorization. I'm not sure that these different strains of lore can ever be truly separated from each other. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's g-h-o-s-t-h-r-o-p-o-l-o-g-y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky! <laughs>